0: here, and I'm going to um, say a few words uh, about uh, Todd and Carrie. They are um, in ministry and have others involved in counseling ministry with them. They're also into training ministry, uh, like this Marriage Enrichment is a training curriculum tool that you've been certified in. Uh, you said that you have another uh, similar type training seminar for those who are not married for relationship training and communication, and, and, and we need to learn more about that. And But I've also been very grateful for Todd as he has just this past year in this area, though he's been doing counseling and marriage and family counseling many years as a military chaplain. And by the way, way thank you for serving in our military and keeping our family safe here. So grateful for that. So he's had many years of experience in counseling, and he has opened up a counseling services here. His offices are down downtown. Uh, do we still call it the Blue Gables? Are we still? The Shops of the Blue Gables. The Shops of the Blue Gables. His office is in, is in there. Um, you know, you, dot Or is where you can find, you know, contact information there. But I have heard and seen and aware how his counseling ministry has helped marriages and individuals. And so I want to, as your pastor say, this is a good resource for you, not just in the trainings you'll receive today in the marriage enrichment, but also the counseling ministry. And so, you know, if you don't want to hear it from me, you've, you know, in 101, hear it from me now. This is a great resource. Feel good about pursuing uh, Todd and his team in counseling. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we are um, uh, blessed by this uh, growing relationship um, with Capernaum Care and the clay pools. And we just pray, Lord, you uh, bless this morning that, Lord, you'll speak through Todd and that we'll, each one of us will hear from your Holy Spirit something that we needed, Lord God, uh, to be closer to you and be more like you in our relationships. So, Lord, we thank you for the day. as you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: This is a no-brainer. We do exactly what Jesus said. We go into town, we find the donkey with its colt, I just don't understand why Jesus wants us to commit a crime. He wants us to steal a donkey. No, no. Not steal. Borrow. Oh, so we're just supposed to stroll into town, untie the donkey, and... And say exactly what he said to say. Uh, What is it? Oh, that the Lord has need of it? Yes, and we'll return it. What does that even mean, the Lord has need of it? It's (laughs) self-explanatory. Why are you being so, so... So, 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 me? Because you all know that I'm the rule follower of the bunch. I just don't know why Jesus just didn't ask Peter to do this. Yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. This is so up Peter's alley. Steal the donkey, cause an uproar. That's his thing. Peter is the reason why banks chain their pens. Oh, I just don't want to go to jail. You know I hate one-ply toilet paper. Lower your voice. Look, we're just going to do what Jesus says. What's the worst that could happen? Oh, what's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? I don't know. A cracked rib, a busted lip, the kind of name-calling that'll put you in therapy years down the road. Stop it. Stop whining. Stop talking. Stop everything. Stop freaking out. Um, I, I, I don't mean to be judgy here, but someone needs to get the log out of their own eye. You have trust issues serious trust issues. You even know how many germs are in a jail cell, do you? No, 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 I don't, I don't. I'm sure it's a whole lot, okay? I don't know. And I don't know why Jesus wants us to get a donkey, and I don't know why people are gathering branches over here and lining the streets, but it just seems like there's something big is about to happen. Wait a minute. Yeah. Go back. Why did you say I had trust issues? Okay. Okay, let's make it about you. What? Think about it. Since we've been following him, we've seen him give sight to the blind. He's healed people with leprosy. He's raised people from the dead. From the dead? I can't even raise you from a nap. Hey, I think we can trust him with this donkey issue. (sighs) That's just did... I have trust issues. I see how Jesus trusts the Father. He trusts so much, even more than the ground that I'm standing on. To trust someone like that, I I, I just can't even imagine. Yeah, yeah. But if you're going to trust someone, it's him, right? Mm. Oh, Mm. Okay, all right, let's do it. We got this. All right. You first. Baby steps. Hey, when we get there and we grab said donkey, maybe I really should leave like a Benjamin. No. A 20 spot? No. A thank you card. Stop it. All right, I'll trust him.
2: Hmm. <laughs> Well, good morning. Good morning. I love the skit, guys. Those guys are great. Um, it is great to be here on Palm Sunday. What a, what a great time to be here and uh, a beautiful day outside. I'm really excited for it. I'm grateful for the ministry of, of Living Waters uh, here in Shelby County and uh, the surrounding counties. Just such a wonderful history of, of a great ministry and kingdom work uh, that you have here. I'm also thankful for Pastor Stephen uh, for inviting me here today and and for hosting the A Lasting Promise uh, Marriage Enrichment Weekend on April 14th and 15th. I I, I really, I hope you can attend because I am confident. I am confident that God will use that to strengthen your relationship for the better. Uh, I mean, there's just no doubt in my mind. I am that your commitment, your marriage will be better for it. And it's, just a, it's just so important to keep growing in your relationship and, and, and that trusting God to do His great work. I Man, that's a message of Palm Sunday. You know, until I was 13, my family attended a Catholic church in Louisville. My grandparents uh, lived on Floyd Street in Old Louisville, uh, and every Sunday morning, Every Sunday morning, we would drive there and pick my grandmother uh, up for church. And my grandmother always dressed. I mean, she always had on this, this lovely dress, you know, the, the, the polka dots or it was just, and, 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 and the, the, the necklace, the matching necklace and the white gloves, the shoes that matched her handbag. And she always had that, that little tiny hat. You know, and and whatever is the perfume that uh, that that she wore, I don't know. I've never, you know, really. But it was just a distinct memory. And we would go to to mass, and we went uh, to mass uh, uh, to a parish on the on the West End. I don't know why, but that's where we went. Um, uh, but we went down there on the West End, um, and 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 each week following the service. Following mass, we would all get together you know that was um, my my uncle's my aunts uh, cousins at my grandparents' house and it was always a a, 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 a big meal uh, time together and it was a it was a whole day event and I always remember uh, that there was a bakery nearby Shelby bakery and there was always these fresh pastries and 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 and, and, and probably says a lot about me today because I really loved those pastries and uh, probably ate way too many of them. Um, but we kept this routine, we kept this routine probably until around 1983 uh, when, my, when my grandparents um, moved from the area uh, because it was kind of, uh, it was a rough area and, and as it is still, um, but, but their health was, um, and their age Uh, Just weren't able to, to stay there. But at a very early age, that formative experience is just pressed right into my mind. Family spending time together. You know, Palm Sunday in the Catholic Church or uh, in the Catholic experience, some of you may know what that's like. It is a celebration. Let me tell you that, okay? That it was like a processional down the sidewalks, you know? the, on the, on the Right there in the in west end of Louisville, I think it was Oak Street, and the priest walked in the full vestment, you know, the chasuble, the stole, and all of that stuff, and there's palm branches. He's carrying the palm branches, everybody following behind him, and he would say, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And everybody walking behind, carrying their palm branches. It looked looked similar to a small parade, um, sort of a small parade uh, down through the West End. uh, and, 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 and people shouting and, and, and yelling. And so here I am, this kid from Todd's Point is outside of Simpsonville, right? So I fit right in with my boots walking in the, the, the streets down there, you know, following behind the priest. And, and, you know, as a child, I thought, what's all this about, right? This is kind of weird. I mean, I'd heard the story. And we've heard the stories. We've read it. But I didn't understand what this all is about. Sure, I'd heard that story, right? I had heard what Palm Sunday was really about. But just putting the pieces together in my mind, I don't know if I fully got it. And perhaps there's a lot of other people, and and maybe... You're like that. Maybe you're like, I, I get it. You know, they, they, they took this donkey and Jesus rode on it and everybody's shouting, I get it. I hear it, but I don't get it. Maybe like in the video, perhaps you wonder the same thing. What's going to happen here? What what are they really doing? What does this all mean for us today? And so I believe that there's kingdom principles that we learn. There's at least three essential kingdom principles from this passage of Scripture in the story of Christ triumphal entry to Jerusalem, we see the illustration of the supremacy of Christ, the authority of God's word on display, and the necessity of discipleship emphasized for believers. Each of these things has significant implications for our life and application for right now, for our daily life, and for the Christian marriage, and for all relationships. So if you have your Bible with you, or if you use it on your phone or a tablet or whatever that you have, I would ask that you turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. As you're turning there, I wanna, it's also going to be on the screen. In Matthew chapter 21, it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus said. Had directed them, they brought the donkey and the colt and put them on put them put them, on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? Who is this? Hmm. Who is this? You know, As you read the story of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, it's unmistakable that all attention is on Jesus. Everything, every sentence, every word points to Jesus. It's directly about Him and for Him. The crowd extols Him with adoration as He rides on the donkey along the street. Clearly, the disciples and the crowd are honoring Jesus as a great person of significance. They're honoring him. Set in A.D. 932, the British satire comedy Monty Python and the Holy Grail portrays King Arthur and his squire Patsy traveling England searching for the knight's of the round table. One of the funniest scenes is, is near the beginning, and it's when King Arthur and Patsy gallop upon some peasants working in the field. This is the scene where they, they argue about the coconut and whether a swallow can, can carry, the weight ratio thing. You know, if you've seen it, you, you know it's, it's quite silly, right? But they, they debate that. And, and King Arthur says, I am your king. And the peasant woman says, well, I didn't vote for you. And King Arthur says, you don't vote for kings. And the peasant says, well, how do you become king then? And all the angelic music plays. And he says, the lady of the lake, her arm clad in the purest shimmering Semites, held aloft Excalibur from the bosom of the water, signifying by divine providence that I, Arthur, was to carry Excalibur. That is why I am your king. Yeah. And Dennis the pe- peasant says, Listen, strange women lying in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. Supreme executive power derives from a mandate from the masses, not from some, some farcical aquatic ceremony. Now, while this is a nonsensical movie, don't try to understand it. Don't try to think your way through it. It's just a bunch of foolish nonsense, right? But we have to understand that perhaps the kingship of Jesus Christ is a difficult concept for some of us to grasp, especially as Americans. We do not get to vote on the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He is king regardless of our acknowledgement of the fact. Now, C.S. Lewis wrote in his 1952 book titled, Mere Christianity, About the Supremacy of Christ. He says, I am trying to prevent here anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said that sort of, sort of, the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Now, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem really underscores the supremacy of Christ. Interestingly, our central passage really It's just, Jesus was being honored as king. The entire story with exuberant praise confirms Christ's supremacy. Also, the fact that he had two of his disciples go to Bethphage, or some people may say Bethphage, where the leading priest and the elders and the Sanhedrin all lived. Now, pointing that out, that he is making a clear statement that Jesus Christ is far above anything in Israel. He's far above anything else. Bethphage means house of unripened figs. This was the place where all the legal decisions of Israel happened. It's equivalent to going to the supreme leaders of Israel to swear in his authority. In the U.S. context, it would be like somebody going into Arlington or Alexandria, Virginia and walking or riding straight into Washington, D.C. And It's all where the leadership lived. Make no mistake about it. Jesus declares that He is Messiah, King, and equality with God, and that His supremacy is more significant than anything else in Israel. You know, it wasn't the first time that Jesus really declared this, right? It wasn't the first time that Jesus had said that that, that He's God. You know, He said that in John ten thirty. He says that He and the Father are one. In John 17, 21, he says that the Father is in him and that he is in the Father and that the Father had sent him. But for me, perhaps the most comprehensive verse that talks about the supremacy or the deity of Christ is in the first chapter of John. See, Greek culture admired great orators. And as a Greek culture, so when, when a Greek was speaking and in this great oratory, or, uh, this great speech, that they thought, oh, the Pantheon of gods has indwelled that person, right? And, and there's this great speech, but there was nothing really personal about it. Right? And so John is addressing that, and he says, no, 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 this, this idea is that the Logos... And so he uses it to teach the deity of Christ. And he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Right? So, it has not overcome it. Let me get to click on to the next slide here. I'm not working. There we go. Okay. Now, so what he's saying is, is that he's talking about this idea of the logos? Now, this idea of the logos, or the word, is that he keeps using there. And so it's important to understand this Greek word. So he uses this, this phrase, hologos, or hologos. The word and refers to Jesus Christ as the essential and supreme word that is greater than the pantheon of all the mythological Greek gods. Now, he combines this idea, he combines this with this idea, the dia atos, or through him. Now, the preposition dia means in, through, for the sake of, because of, and conveys the kingdom truth that the supremacy of Jesus Christ is so great that all power and creative ability must occur in, through and for and because of Him. The Word is the cause and the determination of all that is good. So here's what John is saying. Jesus is the supreme Word. He was and is God, equality with God, the second person of the Trinity. He was in the beginning. He's always been God from eternity past to eternity future. All things were made Through him, so he is the creator God. He is the light of men. He is our standard by which we judge righteousness and ethics. And he shines in the darkness. He is our redeemer and our hope that redeems us and pulls us out of sin. Right? Jesus Christ is our everything. Jesus Christ is what we look to for all relationships. Jesus Christ is the standard for every single thing in life. It is every single thing that we look at. He did not Become or earn deity, he is king. Jesus. He is the dialogos when everything, now this is a central part of how I, what I understand about counseling. So everything must go through because of, as the result of our Savior, our Lord, and King Jesus Christ. He is our dialogos. He is our Redeemer that pulls us and that defines every single thing in our life, our marriage, our relationship. If you're single, it defines how you, how you operate in every part of life. Everything. Now let that that sink in for a minute. I want you to let that really sink in. Jesus wasn't stealing or borrowing a donkey. The donkey and colt are his by proper ownership. He is master and Lord of all. Psalm 24 is the earth and all its fullness are His. Man, it reminds us that Jesus is still master of all in the world. He's master of your life. He is master of your relationship. He is master of your marriage. Every single thing. We need to let that sink right into the crevices of our life. King Jesus is worthy of our praise And honor. I can't imagine a sane person saying outright that they want to be Lord and King. However, we do this in practicality when we oppose God's created design and plan for our life. When we segment our life, when we say, well, this part's God's, or this part's church, and we'll do this on Sunday, right? But the rest of my life, that doesn't matter. Then we, like the peasant woman, in the Monty Monty Python movie, who look into the face of God and say, I didn't vote for you to be king of that part of my life. Much worse as we say, I want to be king of my own life. When we don't let God come into that part of our relationship, when we don't let God come into our marriage, when we don't let God come into how we function and operate in life, then we like that peasant, say, I want to be king. And we reject the supremacy. I think we're seeing this opposition in society right now. We see it as people oppose their created sexual identity. We learn from the first pages of Scripture, in the beginning God created them male and female. However, this goes much deeper and much more profound than merely just the LGBTQ plus Issues. We must understand that God is the Lord and King of every part of our life, including our mental, emotional, spiritual, relational health. God is King and Lord of all. As Creator, our relationship to God is relevant to every single part of our life. Our relationship with Jesus Christ through the Dialogos matters for our mental, emotional, and relational, and our spiritual health. And we must surrender every part of our life to His Lordship. When we see our life through the lens of that Dialogos, everything is under the ownership of God. Everything. Even our marriage. Our parenting. Our job, our career, what we watch on TV, what we scroll through on our phone. God has authority and reign of every single part of our life. When we recognize his supremacy in our life, we begin to experience him as redeemer and healer. He comes in and he, his authority reigns in our life. And people reject the kingship. When they refuse to listen, refuse to listen to his voice, rejection of your calling, how God wants you to serve in the kingdom, or not giving God the rightful place, the prominence in your marriage, or your family, or your work, your recreation, your entertainment. If God desires to use something, right? If God desires to come in and to take your donkey and colt, right? If God desires to come in and say, I want to use your vehicle. If God says, I want to to use your marriage. I want to use your life. I want to use your career. I want to use your talents. I want to use your gifts. He is not obligated in any way to ask our permission because God owns it all. It is His. So when God comes for the donkey and colt, the answer is, yes, Lord, I am your servant. Yes, and I suppose for many people, right, applying the kingship of Christ is quite subjective. It's quite subjective. How do, you, how, do you, how do you understand that, right? It's very subjective since they struggle to hear the voice of God in their life because God speaks to us through the dialogos, his word, and his word in the scripture. Thus, scripture is an authority In our life, right? Right from the beginning of this story, right? So in this story we read on Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he refers back to Zechariah 9:9. And it says, Rejoice greatly O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, when referring to Zechariah's prophecy, the Trump triumphal entry passage says, this was spoken... So that the words of the prophet might be fulfilled. Or the words of Zechariah might be fulfilled. The significance of this verse is that Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of the messianic prophecies. And that scripture is trustworthy and true. There is no doubt that scripture has the same power and right as the word of God. And is authoritative in our life. Now, the silly thing. And just absolutely silly animated sitcom, King of the Hill. It makes fun of Texas rednecks. I lived in Texas for a while, so I've always found that quite humorous watching it. And Hank Hill, it features Hank Hill, his wife Peggy, their son Bobby, and three well-meaning kind of dull neighbors, Dale, Bill, And Boomhauer. Boomhauer is the one that's really hard to understand. And if you're familiar with this story, you know that Hank sells propane and propane accessories. Now, Hank takes this job very seriously. Propane and propane safety is extremely important to him right? And he often gets in these debates, right? He gets in these debates on whether you should use uh, propane versus the dirty burning uh, charcoal for cooking your food, and propane and propane safety, right? All of these things. He'll, he'll, he'll weave all that, and propane is usually involved in almost every episode. Now, Peggy Hill, who is who is key to the show's charm with her antics, is described as a messed up and barely functioning mother with ridiculous expectations of grandeur. She thinks very highly of herself, right? And 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 she's a she's a substitute Spanish teacher who barely speaks Spanish, right? Uh, and so it's just it's it's, it's it's silly and it's entertaining. But in season five, uh, there's an episode titled Hank's Backstory. Now, Peggy, in an effort, Hank had dropped out of the Arlen lawnmower race and, and, and Peggy was going to try to get him to go back into this, uh, this race. So she fakes this propane emergency, much to Hank's chagrin, right? And when Hank confronts her, Peggy replies... I prayed about it, and I heard God tell me, don't do it, but I knew better. Now, hmm. she says, I knew better. We can laugh at this because it's a silly cartoon, right? But we must remember that the show is mocking people's actions. How often do our actions dismiss the authoritative word of God because we know better? People can sit in church sometimes and we hold our Bibles and in practicality we turn away from God's truth to human fables and myths, believing that the Bible is irrelevant. Now we may not say that out loud, but our actions may say that. Maybe they don't open it up or really apply it to their communication or how to live as a single person or how to be a husband, or how to be a wife, or whatever stage in your life, because they're all addressed right there in the pages of Scripture. In contrast to this, we see somebody like William Tyndale. who he lived here in the 14th, 15th, and there's a movie called God's Outlaw about him. It's a wonderful movie. Devoted his life and work and was executed for translating the Bible to English. But within four years after his death, the first complete English version of the Bible was published because of his efforts. He is famous for saying to his accusers, If God spares my life ere many years, I will cause the boy that driveth the plow to know more of the Scripture than thou dost. He's talking to some of the priests who accused him and executed him. I think he fulfilled that. He devoted his life to the point of death because he knew the power and the importance of the authoritative word of God. Throughout history, God has protected his word and his people to translate and publish the Bible, the authoritative word so Every one of us can hear, thus saith the Lord. The the, the staggering odds of the messianic prophecies being fulfilled is astronomical. The odds of a person fulfilling eight prophecies is 10 to the 18th power. I don't even know how to say that number, right? That's one with 18 zeros. The odds of a person fulfilling 48 prophecies is 1 to the 57th. Jesus Christ fulfilled 300 Messianic prophecies. And it's not just the Messianic prophecies. It's the book. It's the the book itself. It's the fragments that we have. It's the archaeology. That there are thousands upon thousands of original fragments that we have that prove the veracity of the Word of God that you hold right there in your hand. Of the 66 books that we have in the Bible, 39 in the Old, 27 in the New Testament... They are trustworthy and true. And in the same way as Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the Bible is the authoritative word of God, and they speak God's instruction, right? By faith we understand, right? That the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, right? Now, here's this word that's in... uh, it's cartizo. Now, kartizo means created and can be translated as frame. Some of yours might say frame. Some may equip. Some may say strengthen or repair. It expresses an action that makes us what we ought to be. So when we read in Scripture, it is making us what we ought to be. Making us. And the second word is rama. And it means the words of God. It's the same what Matthew used, that man does not live by bread alone, but by the very word of God. 2 Timothy uh, 3 tells us this. It says, All Scripture is breathed by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And now Paul uses a similar word, but he says, it's, it's, hang, hang with me because I'm, I'm, I'm from Kentucky and so I had to pronounce it. It's Theonutos. Theonutos. It literally means God's breath. It kind of points back to where in the garden where God breathed life. Into Adam. God is breathing His Word. God is breathing the Dialogos right there. The words you read in Scripture are the same as the Dialogos. They're the same as the voice that was heard by Moses at the burning bush. It is God breathing His words right there on the pages. And as you read it, you are reading the very words of God. Thus saith the Lord. Man, every single bit of it, God continually speaks to us today. The Word of God frames this world, it brings understanding. To this world. It helps us know what is right, what is good. It's the definition of our ethics. It's every single thing. It's framing it, it's repairing it. It overall teaches us what we ought to be. The word of God tells us that as Christians, how now we ought to live. And Timothy tells us that Scripture is ever is useful for every part of our life. And it propels us to live our destiny with objective truth. Right there in the pages, you've got that objective truth, the dialogos, God speaking to you. It's also, it confirms it right there in the words of Scripture. God's Word is instructional. It teaches us how to live. It tells us how to live in relationship with God and to relationship with other people. It addresses every single domain of life at every life stage. For everything you need, God's Word has authority. It calls out life. It calls us to live. But some of the most dangerous words are like those of Peggy Hills. I know the Bible says, but the challenge for you and I today is to learn how to apply it to our life, to every single part. What does God have to say to your marriage? I think it's why it's so important to attend the Lasting Promise Marriage Enrichment something that is based on biblical principles. Through the lens of the dialogos, you will learn biblical truths, how to have, something that you can apply right of way, how to have a better marriage. What is God saying about your calling in the kingdom, right? How does a king want to use you in ministry? What's God saying about your work and career? In what areas do you need to release your life to be under the authority of the king's dominion? How does God want to use your parenting? How does God want to use your life? What does God want to do in your life right now? The supremacy of Christ teaches us that Jesus is Lord and King over all of your life. The authority of Scripture tells us what His Word speaks to and gives direction. It changes our life. Well, the next logical step is the necessity of discipleship discipleship is, is is much different than merely learning scripture discipleship is about putting your faith in Jesus Christ in action now, i've never really been good at sports i'm almost 6'3 but i'm just it's just sports was just not something that was my thing but when i was about 10 or 11 i played uh, on a community basketball league right now I, I was not a star player by any means, right? I had fun even if I didn't get the ball or make many baskets, right? I remember one game when the ball was passed to me and it was my time and I started dribbling right down the court, right? It was like everything was perfect. I dribbled down. Nobody was even near me. I squared up to the basket. I took the shot and swoosh. I scored the points. Wow, man! If you can imagine, I felt so much joy and glee in that moment. But my internal celebration didn't last long. When I looked around, and the other team laughed, the teammates were unhappy, and my coach was angry. In my excitement, I had run the ball down the court the wrong way and scored a point for the other team. (laughs) Uh, You can imagine the embarrassment. The opponents were laughing. (laughs) The, 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 The snickering from the bleachers, right? The hardest part? I let down people. I was playing for the wrong team. And the coach tried to tell me, but I wasn't listening. In that moment, all focus was on me and what I wanted. I had the ball, and it was my time to make the shot. Like the two disciples, they had to learn to trust and play for the right team. Discipleship is about learning to play for the right team. Discipleship brings it all together by teaching us to live confidently the supremacy of Christ, to walk daily in our lives, and to live out the authoritative Word of God in everything that we do. Discipleship is the threefold task that we see in the Great Commission, isn't it? It says to go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all things Christ commanded. Discipleship is at the very heart of who we are. We follow Christ because we are His disciples. Jesus tells us how to do this, right? It says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Right? For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So what's he saying? He's saying that this important truth that Jesus is teaching us is that we have to die to ourselves. You see, every single one of us, every single one of us has this created destiny that God has planted in you before you were even conceived. That's what scripture says, right? Before you were even thought of on this earth, God knew who you were. God knew you had a created destiny. And he planned, it, he planned out your life. And this includes in serving him in the kingdom. This is your true identity or your true self. It's at the very core of who you are. It's the core, the very foundation of your being. You are a child of God and created to be in relationship and to glorify Him. Everything about you is intentional. Your sexual identity, your eye, your hair color, your smile, the tone of your voice, your interest, your personality. Everything about you is a precise combination of what God wants you to be. And He wants you to live it out in the kingdom kingdom work, kingdom living being a child of the king. The problem is our false self, right? And the problem is our false self, and that's the problem of sin, the issue of sin. Our false self looks at the supremacy of Christ and says, I don't want to be my own king. I want to be my own king. Our false self brings all that stress and anxiety and destruction. If you want to follow the king, you got to put some hard work in it. It's the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Right? We are all people who are becoming. I am becoming. You're becoming. You're becoming in your relationship. You're becoming who you are. You're becoming. And it's a, at the point of salvation... God accepts us as we are, but you can't stay as you are. God accepts you, and then you're going to grow into your true self. That is discipleship. You can't stay where you are. That would be a rejection of the supremacy of Christ. That would be a rejection of the authority of Christ. Of Christ. That would be a rejection of discipleship. So a person who claims to be a Christian but so shows no sign of spiritual fruit is suspicious at best. So are you growing and becoming an obedient disciple in your life? If you are, it must cross over into every area, every domain. What about your marriage? Are you growing in your relationship? Are you growing as a single person? Are you growing what, as, as, a, as, a, as a widow and as a widower? Or are you growing in your service? Are you growing as a child? Are you growing as a teen in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Or what about your, your bank account and your tithing? Are you growing in your finances and you're saying, I'm really tithing to the local church? Your relationship with Jesus Christ and your marriage, everything about you should be in discipleship and growing in your relationship with Christ. Everything. The kingdom principles, the triumphal entry of the supremacy of Christ, the authority of Scripture, the necessity of discipleship. And we must learn to re- surrender and apply these principles, right? But everything changed in just a minute. The triumphal entry, they all go in, right? And everybody's shouting, and everybody's saying, Hosanna. But a few days later, the crowd's jeering and shouting, give us Barabbas, and they're wanting to crucify him. So what really changed? What changed in this? And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out of the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and they said to him, do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise. So it was all good. Everything was fine and, and, until Jesus started turning over their tables. When Jesus comes into our life and he starts saying, he goes, I want to use your donkey, I want to use your colt, and and, and you refuse, he's going to start turning over tables. If you're a child of God, you are under his authority, right? And so sometimes we have to question, "Am am I experiencing these things? Because I am rejecting that? And see, as he came out of this situation, he comes back into Bethphage, which means house of unripened figs, and he sees a tree with no fruit, and he withers it. They were withered because they had rejected his authority in their life. Let me tell you, there's the serious consequences of rejecting Jesus Christ. If you're rejecting Jesus Christ in your marriage, if you're rejecting Jesus Christ in your communication, if you're rejecting Jesus Christ in all of these things, there's consequences. We have to surrender. That's what it's about. The supremacy of Christ, the authority of Scripture, and the necessity of discipleship. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we pray right now that you continue to work in our life and teach us. May we surrender to that supremacy and to know that you are Lord and King over every area. That you, God, the authority of your word, the place of necessity for us to be discipled and to continue to grow in our relationship. May we always surrender to you. And trust you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank
0: you, Todd. That was that was some good meat right there. Woo! That was good teaching right there. Um, I'm going to ask uh, Todd and Carrie. Could you guys kind of stay down here for, for to be available for, available for prayer? We have a couple other people here on the sides. Um, who are available for prayer and we are people of prayer please don't leave this morning if there's something that uh, is is bothering you something that is uh, you're at unrest about you need someone to pray with you uh, then we have people